Welcome to my shir on Parshas Korach. It's wonderful to be back and it's wonderful to be able to share some Divrei Torah with you. Of course, uh, we're going to be looking at the Nesivas Shalom today. And it's a fascinating piece. It's about a particular posuk uh, with reference to the episode of Korach Va'adosai. You know, did you know that uh, Korach was a rebel? He was a cousin of Moshe, a member of the family. And he refused to accept Moshe's leadership and the fact that Aaron had been appointed to be the Kohen Godel. And he rebelled. And he said, Kulam Kadoshim, the entire nation is holy. Why should it just be you, Moshe? Why should it be just be you, Aaron? And why should it just be the people that you pick? And even if you say that that's what God wants, it seems that you have undue influence. We all equal. And therefore, at least that's the way we would perceive it from the Psukim. He wanted a, a revolution in which each and every person in Klal Yisrael would have the opportunity to be whatever it is that they wanted to be. If you want to be a Kohen, you can be a Kohen. And if you want to be a Levi, you should be able to be a Levi. If you want to be a Yisrael, you should be a Yisrael. That is really the, uh, the purpose of Korach's revolution, at least on the face of it. So if you're looking at it superficially, if you're trying to understand what Korach's motives were, that seems to be the case that Korach was motivated by equality. It's a sort of spiritual communism. I'm going to read a piece which we're going to get to again, which is at the end of the Nesivas Shalom, and we're going to get to it, but I'd like to introduce the Nesivas Shalom that we're going to look through by giving you the conclusion. So it's kind of a setup. I want you to understand where we're going in today's share, why this is so important, why today's share is so important in understanding what Parshas Korach is all about. It seems to be a very parochial, very time-bound story, a story about Moshe Rabbeinu having to deal with uh, those who rebelled against his leadership, but there's got to be a universal message and an eternal message. Both of those things are important. That's what the Shira is going to deal with. But let me look at the piece at the end of the Nesiva Shalom, which will give you some sense of where we're going with today's Shira. The Holy Torah is teaching us the important ways of life, how to conduct ourselves in our lives. And the purpose of the Torah is not to tell us simply a story, an interesting anecdote, an episode that occurred with Korach when he rebelled against Moshe Rabbeinu. It is there, this story is in the Torah in order to teach us that we who are reading this story almost three and a half thousand years later should never behave like Korach and his gang of rebels. That's really the purpose of the story of Korach. So now we have to coax out the details of the story in order to understand what lessons are contained in this story that are universal and eternal so that we can, in our own lives, conduct ourselves in the way that is proper, both as Jews and as individuals, and never become like Korach so we're going to now go back to the beginning of the Nesiva Sholem and he links everything, the message of his piece, he links to a particular posuk in the episode. So as you know, Korach confronted Moshe Rabbeinu with his Adol, with his, with his group of rebels, and he confronted Moshe with a whole bunch of accusations and assertions which were deliberately uh, put together to undermine Moshe's leadership. And Moshe Rabbein responded in a very interesting way. I'm not going to go into all the details. I know that in previous years I've dealt with different aspects of this rebellion and Moshe's reaction to it. It's very interesting. It's not just a story that, you know, that uh, doesn't have meaning in each and every one of the segments of the chapters in the story. And this, by the way, the chapters are all condensed into single psukim, but each and every part of this story is significant. So the Nesiva Shalom is going to hinge everything that he's going to say in this piece on one particular posuk, Moshe's response to Korach va'adosai. How did Moshe Rabbeinu respond to Korach va'adosai 
when they confronted him with these accusations and assertions. Hashem He says to them, we need to sleep on it. In the morning, Hashem will let us know that which is his. God will inform us. We will be um, given the necessary information, the knowledge as to what it is that God wants. We can't do that now. We're going to do it in the morning. That which is holy and is drawn near to him. Usually we translate the word vehikriv as to brought up as a sacrifice, whatever the case may be. We're going to, I'm going to be a little bit vague in the translation because you're going to see that's important in the way the shear unfolds. But the, part one is boiker, in the morning. That's number one. Number two is v'yodei Hashem es asher loi. That's number two, or the first segment of three conditions that Moshe is imposing on what will be discovered in the morning. And finally, and that he who is chosen to him, who brings the sacrifice to him. Now, in the context of the story, what he's really saying is, go home, let's sleep through the night, and in the morning, come back with whatever it is, the sacrifice that God has suggested, and which Moshe Rabbeinu is now instructing them to prepare. Come back in the morning, and in the morning, everything will be revealed. Everything about what you're saying will be revealed because the uh, reaction of God to that which you bring, the incense which you're going to bring to him, is going to determine whether you're right and I'm wrong or whether I'm right and you're wrong. That's really in the most literal understanding of this posuk, what this posuk means. Says the Nesibah Sholem, there's questions about this posuk which clearly indicate that that's not what the posuk means. Umakshim l'shema hoisa the first question is the word itself, boiker. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu feel the need, the necessity, to instruct them that they needed to wait until the morning? Why couldn't he deal with it right now? You know, the, the, uh, we have this age-old chazal, which tells us, mitzvah habole yodoi, al tach mitzena. If you have an opportunity to do something good, don't wait. Do it right away. Don't let it, don't let it go stale. This was something which was a rebellion. There was a revolution going on. Why wait? Deal with it right away. This is a boil that needs to be lanced immediately. One would have thought. And yet Moshe Rabbeinu says, boy care. Okay, he wants it to be postponed until the morning. We need to understand why he would have postponed dealing with this until the morning, why he didn't deal with it right away. He'd had his instructions from Hashem. Surely he should have dealt with it immediately. The Chain Bezoyar HaKadosh, and in fact the Zohar, the Kabbalistic work, the Zohar, mentions this as a question. Isa Haloshain Amai Boiker. The Zohar asks the question, why Boike, why morning? Why did it have to be the morning? And in addition to that, we need to explain the three sections of this posuk. So boike is, is the first piece, but then it's followed by three. We're going to refer to them as clause one, clause two, and clause three. What is clause one? It says... First clause is, God will know that which is his. Then it says, That which is holy, sanctified, and be brought close to him, or be brought up to him as a sacrifice. That which is chosen for him, he will bring close to him. So that which is for him, he will draw near to him. So why do we have those three clauses? The Rashi Mefarish, Rashi explains, Hashem He says, clause number one is referring to the Leviim. The fact is that um, when it says, Hashem it's talking about the Leviim. And the fact that it says, that is talking about, says Rashi, the Kohanim. That's what he says. And this is something which is drawn from the Kabbalistic sources, that the first clause in the Posuk refers to Levium. The second clause in the Posuk refers to the Kohanim. 
V'torech biur, says the Nesiva Shalom, this needs further explanation and elucidation. Eich mishtamea min haposuk, how do, how do we draw this inference from the Posuk? It's very nice to suggest that these three clauses in the Posuk have specific reference points, but how are you drawing that conclusion from the specific wording in the Posuk itself? How are you saying that means the Levim? And how are you saying that the fact that it says is talking about Kohanim? Why would you suggest that? Why would you uh, need to associate those two clauses with the particular segments of ancient Israelite society that you have picked. And the one thing that Rashi and the Zohar have failed to deal with is the third clause in the Posuk when it says, What is that referring to? What exactly does that third clause in the Posuk mean? So again, we have the Boike word, which is confusing. And we have these three clauses in the Posuk, which we identify as three separate ideas. And the Rashi and the Zohar say that those ideas are referring, or the first two of them are referring to Levim and Kohanim. We still don't know what the third one is referring to. And we still don't understand why the first one is referring to Levim and the second one is referring to Kohanim. So the main thing you need to understand and the main thing we're going to draw out initially in the share is that there's three levels of service to God or service of God that are being identified in this posuk. Avoidas halavim. Let's start with avoidas halavim. Now we're going to refer to this as avoidas halavim, but and we're of course talking about the levim. But remember that this is universal and eternal. So there is a certain avoida in Klal Yisrael that we associate with the levim, but which may refer to people who are not among the levim. It's just a way of identifying this particular sort of avoidas Hashem. Avoidas Alavim, and then you have something called Avoidas Kohanim. So you've got a next level Avoidah, next level service, which is the service of God, which is the Kohanim service of God. Okay, that's next, that's level two. Ulamala Mehem, and further above those two, Levi being level one, Kohanim being level two, you have level three. Hakoyen Hagodal Shuhanifcha Mitoich. And then you have the Kohen Hagodol, the Kohen, the high priest, who is the chosen one from among the chosen people. So the chosen people in and of themselves, we are the chosen people. The Jewish people are the chosen people. So we have a particular duty and, uh, to, in the service of God. And that is divided into three categories. Category one being a Levium level, you're going to see that's important. Cap um, uh, then we have the second level, which is uh, the Kohanim level. And finally, we have the one who is chosen from among the chosen, and he is called the Kohen Godel. He's the ultimate level of service to God. So now we need to understand that. Let's try and understand what the Avoidas Halavim represents. What does it mean to be in the service of God like the Levites? The Rambam says, You want to understand what the Levim are? They're like the army of God. The infantry of the Almighty. That's who the Levim are. They are the army who carry out the word of God without any question. If you want to know, if you want to understand what a Levi is, what the category of a Levi is, it's somebody who removes themselves entirely from every aspect of the material world in order to cleave and come close to God. That's the idea of a Levi, that even though they occupy a physical world, they are so devoted and dedicated, like an army. An army is very different than an ordinary citizen. An army, if you are a soldier in the army, everything you do 
is calculated to be in the service of the country and of the king or the leader or wherever it is that you serve. In the army, you're not serving your own needs or the needs, as it were, of society at large. You are totally duty bound to do everything that you do. Every act that you perform is done in the service of whoever it is you represent as a soldier in that army. That's what to be a levy means. And continues the Nesivas Shalom and says, That's why it says about them in this Pasuk that God will know those who are to him, who as it were belong to him, are devoted to him, dedicated to him. The service towards God is the primary function, the primary directive of who they are. Hashem. Do you know why? Because they are part of God's brigade. They are part of God's army. Vyoidea, and the word Vyoidea, what is that? And he will know who Lashain Dvekus. It's it's a um, it's a language that he uses, it's a, it's a code word in Hebrew for being very close to Vyoda of Ha'odam Yoda, he says, that's a proof. One of the ways you describe the relationship between a man and a woman the very intimate moments between a man and a woman is that the man knows the woman. And that's a certain coming together of the man and the woman. There's a, there's a closeness there which can't be described as simply knowing in the sense that it's okay, I know a piece of information. There's knowing which is like a much stronger in Hebrew, may not be in English. In Hebrew, the word yodea, yoda, has a much stronger connotation, a much stronger meaning than the word to know in English. And that means that the work, the service of the Levim, or those who we're going to associate with this type of service, is really that they must be close to Hashem. They must be as close as it is possible to be for a human being to God. And that's why they belong to him. They literally belong to him. Levim belong to Hashem. The Levi will abandon. It will become not interesting for him totally irrelevant to him aspects of this world rather he wants to devote himself completely to the service of God to the exclusion of anything else that's level one that's when it says the idea Hashem it's talking about the level the category of the Levim after that the posse continues with clause number two remember i discussed that earlier clause number two is that which is sanctified and they will be drawn close to him that's talking remember what rashi said in the zohar we're talking about the kohanim it's talking about the service of the priesthood and that can be explained via, and by the way, this is a favorite quote of the Nesivas Shalom. You've heard me quote it before in the Nesivas Shalom. That the Mesilas Yesharim says, Mesilas Yesharim was the Ramchal, Reb Moshe Chaim Lutzato, a favorite safer of the Nesivas Shalom. The Mesilas Yesharim says, Bahagdoras Hamadregois Tahara Ukdusha. There is a difference between purity, Tohoir, Tahara, and Kodosh, Kedusha, holiness, sanctity. There's a difference between purity and sanctity, between cleanliness spiritually and holiness spiritually. Last week we described Kedusha in one particular way. Now you're going to hear it described slightly differently. If you want to know what Toher is, it's somebody who has managed to purge themselves from anything which is impure, anything which is unholy, and from anything which is physical or material. They've cleansed themselves. They're now what you would call spiritually neutral. That's what Toher means. But above that level is the level of Kodosh, of Kedusha, of sanctity. What does it mean? That everything which he has in life, which is related to his material existence, is also considered to be 
somehow holy, somehow sacred. In other words, just because um, somebody is, uh, t- has totally purged any physical remnants from their life doesn't mean that they're not physical. They are physical. And if, you're, if you manage to devote or dedicate the physical material aspects of your life to God, that becomes Kedusha. That means even your physical, even your material is holy. It's not just that there's nothing unholy about you. It's not that you're in neutral. You now have emerged from that status and gone to one level above, above it, which is called Kedusha, from Tahara to Kedusha. He becomes himself like, like a sanctuary and like a, um, like a mizbeach, like an altar. And anything he eats becomes as if he was eating from a korban. Remember what the koenim, they would, they would eat the um, whatever sections or parts of the korbanos that they were entitled to eat, they would eat. As a result of their eating that food, that meat, or those that carbon mincha, the person who brought it would become, would be forgiven, would go through this penitence process. So the Kurnim's physical act had a spiritual impact on those who had brought the carbon. The Hainu Shavoidas Hakoinim Hiba Madregas Kudusha. And that's because the level of the Kurnim. The service of the Karnim, when they do it, it's like the Madrega, it's the level of Kedusha. It's not just the level of Tahara. And now we understand why this Posuk is referring to Kahanim. Shekoi al Hakahuna. It's talking about Kohanim. The Ilu, Halavim Heimrak Bedargas Tahara. The Levim level is a lower level. It's just at the level of purity. It's a level of not physical, but it's not a level of sanctif- level of sanctifying or making sacred the physical and the material. That's the level of the Kohanim. Bechinas es asher loi. That which belongs to him. They belong to Hashem because they no longer belong to the material. So they've managed to completely dedicate themselves single-mindedly, totally and completely to Hashem. They're es asher loy. They are at an elevated level of Kedusha. They've come close to him through their through their sanctity, through their holiness, as it were. So we, now we have a slightly different definition than the one that we gave last week when we talked about Kedusha or Kodosh as being an act of separation. Continues the Nesivas Shalom. We now come to the third clause in that Pasuk. We still haven't understood. We understand the Levi part. We understand the Koyen part, but now we're going to understand that the third part is at the next level. That's the third and most elevated level that any human being can reach. Even within the Koyhanim, even within the priesthood, there is a next level. There is a more elevated level. Even from among the priests, there is a Koyen HaGodol Me'echov. There is a Koyen Godol. And he is the high priest. He's been chosen. He's the highest level of priest, even within that highest level within the Jewish people. There's no higher level than he who is the high priest. Began with Aharon HaKoyen. We're going to talk a little bit more about him in a few moments. But Aharon HaKoyen becomes the first of these chosen high priests. They go through this uh, process of selection. And once they are chosen, they are the Koyen HaGodol Me'echov. The Koyen Godol has a particular affinity for God. God has a particular um, uh, relationship with the Kohen God or more than he has with the rest of the Kohanim. And that's why um, he's called Asher Yivchar Boy, Bakodesh Baruch Hu Bochar Boy, because God has chosen him. Now, now that we've understood these three levels, we've got the Levi, you've got the Kohanim, you've got the Kohen Godel, we've got these three different categories. So we've understood Clause 1, Clause 2, and Clause 3. Now we have the word Boiker, which is at the beginning of the Posuk. How are we going to explain that? 
Says the Nesivas Shalom. This is absolutely beautiful. We know that even a great Levi, somebody who has managed to be metaher himself, to purify himself, even if he hasn't reached the level of a Kayin, of Kedusha, he's totally purified himself. But occasionally, even those who are pure will fall into sin, even if it's something that they do by accident, or perhaps they do it on purpose. But is it a sin? Is it a, um, a long-term a, a destructive force within their lives, or is it a one-off occurrence? The Nesiva Sholem is going to address this now. There are those, you know what, the inclination that we have to do wrong is very powerful. How many times have we spoken about this in the past? That the inclination to do an Avera is not something that we can dismiss. I was a tzaddik yesterday. I was a tzaddik the day before. I've been a tzaddik for the last three months, for the last three years, for the last 30 years. That means I'm not going to do an Avera today. That's no protection. Today is a day when I could do an Avera. And that is something that we need to consider each and every day of our lives. And it's even possible, says the Nesiva Shalom, that a Levi who has purified themselves, he totally pure, it's possible, his inclination got the better of him. And after all, they've reached the, reached the level of Leviah being a Levi. So we know the principle that anyone who is greater than their fellow man, than their Yetzer, Hurrah is even bigger than that of their fellow man. It's stronger, it's more powerful. It can overtake them, it can overrun them. And that being the case, they must be constantly on their guard, but it's possible that occasionally they may fail. It is possible to suggest that if a levy sins, that it's not in and of itself a destructive sin to the extent that they are now to be referenced as a sinner. It is something that just happened. It's kind of by chance. It's an anomaly. It's not who they are. It's because their Yetzir got the better of them. In the morning, after night, They've gone through an entire night, Shehuzman, his boinanus. It's a time of thinking, it's a time of reflection, it's a time when you don't generally do anything, it's a time when you can go over that which you have done over the past day and think to yourself, did I do the right thing, did I do the wrong thing? That's what the night can bring. You wake up in the morning, you're a new person, new being. New to what you were before you sinned, you're renewed. You are pure and you're be, you have been cleansed from any desire to sin ever again. And then, of course, the tshuva process begins, but the sin in and of itself never really took hold. It doesn't mean that somebody who does something wrong is a wrongdoer. It just means that that was an occasion when they did the wrong thing. And the Machaber of Yosef Karo. At the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch says, and this is right at the beginning of Orachayim, it says, A person should get up in the morning, he should spring out of bed like a lion, with the strength and with the passion and with the energy of a lion. We've all seen lions. We know how strong they are. They look, they're pulsating with strength and with energy. That's how you must be in the morning. What to do what? Avoid us the service of God. Now we understand what Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he said in the morning and God will let us know what's going on. Let's wait until the morning. Now you're very angry and it's now it's, well, it's late in the day already. It's in the afternoon. I don't know what time it was, but it's half past three in the afternoon. Looked at his watch. He says, you know what? Let's wait. Let, let's see if we, what's going to happen. If we just let this wait overnight, let's see how you're going to feel uh, tomorrow morning. We're going to know whether this machloikas is in fact 
a chait? Is it a real chait? Is it a sin? He chait be'etzem oi she'ein mikra. Maybe it's just something. You, you had a bit of a bad morning. You got up out of bed. You're in a bad mood, and you decided I'm looking for a scapegoat. I'm looking for somebody to make trouble. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're a bad person. I don't want you to be the leader, and I'm against you. And it doesn't matter what I say right now, says Moshe Rabbeinu, because you're in that mood. You're, you're, you're being gripped by this craziness. You know what? Calm down. Go to bed. Sleep on it. And let's see what in the morning, whether you still feel quite as passionate and in your anger and in your resistance to me as the leader, and in everything that you're saying, all the tightness that you have, all the arguments that you have against my leadership and the way I'm running the Jewish nation, let's see if in the morning you have quite the same thing, and we'll know. If you don't, it was just a mikra, it was just something that happened, you had a bad day, it was a bad hair day, and now you, uh, you've come to your senses and everything's okay. Or, if you still feel the same way, uh, well, obviously then, it's a much more profound problem, then I could say that it is... I want to know, are you going to be among the Levium of Asher Loi tomorrow morning? In the morning, I'll know whether or not you're still one of the Levium or whether you've left the Machne of the Levium, whether you've left the Levite encampment completely. You've completely digressed and diverged from what it means to be a Levi. And that I'll only know in the morning. It's not possible for me to know that right now. Are you still part of the brigade, of the army, of the unit of God? Are you still part of those who serve God like the military serves their commander? We say it in davening every morning that God renews every single day. Um, he renews Maase Bereshis, he renews creation every single morning. Why does God need to recreate Maase Bereshis each and every day? Why can't creation just be something that was, you know, it started at the beginning? press the button, you press go, and now it's just going to go and continue. Why does it need to be something that's mechadesh b'chol yoim tomid? Maase b'reishis. Elo. Sheze naase b'chadeshi yelu yehudi b'chol yoim k'ach l'schadesh. It's a deliberate ploy by Hashem. So that each and every day we have a new energy. It's not the same old energy that we had yesterday, the day before, last month and last year. It is a new energy that we have. Each and every day renewed we don't have to feel the same way that we felt yesterday. We can go back to what we felt when we felt good. It's possible to do it. You don't have to sink into the mire that you found yourself in when you were in the wrong place. You can be in a good place, in a positive space. That's what you can do. Each and every day is a new opportunity to renew. Each and every day you have the possibility to renew yourself as a new creature, a new creation that wasn't there before because that possibility exists within the Bria. You can be renewed each and every day. And that's why it says Boike. And this idea that we separate Avoidas Hashem into three levels, the Levia, the Levi, Kuhuna, the Kohanim, and the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, that was something which Moshe Rabbeinu deliberately responded. He used that as a response to that which Korach had complained about. If you want to understand, if you want to really and truly understand what the mistake was that Korach made, look at how Moshe Rabbeinu responded, then you'll understand how Korach got it so wrong. Chativa means a unit, a brigade, a one, one group. God created the Jewish people to be one unit, one brigade, one battalion. That's who we are. Umikamcha Yisrael goi, Echad Ba'aretz, who is like the Jewish nation, one, a nation of one, of one unit in the world. But how does that work? 
how does the unity, the, uh, the oneness of the Jewish nation actually work? How does it, how does it function? What are the mechanics of this oneness? It's nivnis mikach bahem gimel madregos. It's built on this idea that there are three levels. Koihanim, Leviim, v'Yisraelim. So now you see that we're shifting it slightly from Levi, Kohen, and Kohen Godol. Suddenly it's going to become Yisrael, Levi, and Kohenim. But it's the same idea that within the Jewish nation there's three different categories and all of them feed off each other. By the way, I've, I've often said this before. How is it possible for a Jew to keep 613 mitzvahs? Because there's many mitzvahs which are only relevant to either a Yisrael or to a Levi or to a Kohen. So if you're a Kohen, you're never going to keep 613 mitzvahs because you can't keep the mitzvahs which only the Yisraelim can keep. And if you're Yisrael, you can't keep any of the mitzvahs that the Levim and the, and the Kohanim can keep. So how are you ever going to keep 613 mitzvahs if you're part of this Umika Amcha Yisrael Goy Echad Ba'aretz? If you're part of one nation, you can keep all the mitzvahs because vicariously you can keep them. If a Kohen keeps a mitzvah and I'm part of the nation in which there are Kohanim, I'm keeping the mitzvah. And if I keep a mitzvah and the Kohen is part of the nation in which I am a Yisrael, then he is keeping my mitzvah as well. Vicariously, you're able to keep all the mitzvahs of Hashem. Why? Because we are one brigade. We are one unit in the service of God. But we are divided into these three separate categories. And what are the categories? Kohanim, Levim, Yisraelim, v'chol eilu mekablin din min din umukushorim kulam ke'echod. Dein min dein umukushorim kulam ke'echod. Each one receives one from the other and they are all connected to each other like one. It's, you, it's a, um, a, a, a give and take relationship. I give, you take, and I take from you and you give. And somehow, within that relationship, we all become one. We're going to see more about that. And that's what unites us as a nation. We all have our own jobs. We all have our own duties. We all have individual, as it were, expectations, but it's all part of one unit. It's not individual to the exclusion of the other. It's an individual as part of an inclusion of the other and us to be included with those others. The Koirach wasn't happy with this idea. He didn't understand this ideal. He didn't get it. As far as he was concerned, that's wrong because it means there's certain things that I'm only going to be able to do and that I'm not going to be able to do and that somebody else can do and I'll never be able to do that. And that means I'm limited. He saw any... Um, any duty that somebody else had that he didn't have as a limitation that is imposed on him. And similarly for everybody else who has, as it were, those limitations. The Koirach Polig al Sholem. He didn't like this idea of Sholem, of peace. What does peace mean? Sholem. It means completeness. A completeness that's based on um, differing responsibilities and differing um, duties in life. Shehichzik ba'alma defruda v'sovar. He believed in, a, in, a, in separate, each person has the individual um, uh, rights and individual duties as far as God is concerned to the exclusion of anybody else, got nothing to do with anybody else. I've got my duties and if somebody else got the same duties, that's fine or not, it's irrelevant. My relationship with God is directly with God and not part of, a, of an arm of a nation. He didn't believe in the one nation principle. Now we can understand this posse. He said, the entire congregation, they are all holy. It would be better to say, Ada is a singular, it would have been better to say, um, it is all holy in the one, in the singular. It's not what he said. He said, um, he said, they are all in the plural, holy in the plural. So what was he talking about? Interesting, isn't it? I bet you never thought of that. The posuk doesn't make any sense because Ada is, describes one congregation. So therefore it should say, it's not what it says. 
when we describe a community, we say that it's, you always see it before the name of a community, Kuf Kuf, Kehila Kadosha, right? Kahal Kadosha, Kahal Kadosh. It's in the singular because it's one congregation. It's, it's a group of people that have merged into one and therefore are referred to in the singular. But here he refers to them in the plural. How can you refer to a singular in the plural? Ella. He didn't want to say that. Because when you say Kula that means that everybody's one, united as one. Doesn't matter what you do or what you do, everybody is one. He said, no, there's no such thing. It's a mixture of many different elements. Each in and of themselves are holy. They shouldn't be connected in order to be one nation because that would be a limitation on somebody else. If, if it's all one nation, that means I can't do what the other fellow needs to do. I can only do what I'm, I need to do. And that's a limitation that's imposed on me. I want everybody to be an individual. I want everybody to have the right to do anything that they want. I want anybody who wants to do whatever it is that they want to do in the service of God to have that right and that opportunity. That's not one nation. That's a thousand, six hundred thousand nations. Because each and everybody in the nation becomes a nation in and of themselves. That's what Korach wanted. That was his big mistake. That was his flaw. Because if each and every single one of them is a separate entity in and of themselves, like a part of a body, it needs one to merge it all together and to make sure that they're doing the things that they need to do. He wanted to be the head of all these disparate people. He didn't see this as one organic body. He saw this as a body that, with people running off in many different directions and that he would be able to assert his control over everybody. He saw himself, this was a pitch for the leadership. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be the leader of every single person with their independent views and their independent ideals and their independent pursuits. That's not the way Am Yisrael works. Leadership in Am Yisrael means service of Am Yisrael. The fact that we have a king or a Kohen God or anybody who does the many things that we have in, uh, in the Jewish nation doesn't mean that they are over and above anybody else. It means that they are in the service of Klal Yisrael and Klal Yisrael is in their service. It's part of an organic whole. That's the idea. That's why he was punished with the worst possible punishment his, him and his entire family was swallowed up by the earth it was the reason why a specific creation had to be brought about in order to deal with him he didn't get an ordinary punishment he got the worst possible punishment that was unique for that moment for that particular sin because really his biggest sin was is he wanted to undermine the entire concept of what it means to be am yisrael klal yisrael to be one nation united in the service of god each and every one with their different duties and obligations but all coming together like a machine which is ticking along and making sure each part each cog in that machine is doing its duty not that it's doing whatever it wants because then the machine can never work everything about what he was trying to achieve undermined the very foundation of Klal Yisrael and ultimately this would have been the most destructive thing he would have destroyed Klal Yisrael even before it began imagine he would have won and he would have been have gained the leadership and he would have beaten Moshe Rabbeinu whatever it was then Klal Yisrael would have disintegrated, we would never have existed, and this whole story would have ended there and then. And that's why it says, you should never be like Korach and his congregation, because that is the most destructive uh, way of dealing with matters pertaining to our nationhood and to our identity as the Jewish people. And 
Straight after the parsha of Kairach, we have the parsha of Teruma. And in fact, it's not just Truma, it's all of the different tithes and obligations that the Jewish nation had in giving to the Kahanim, to the priestly class. Perish Rashi. Why is the parsha of Teruma uh, connected to the parsha of Kairach? Why is it there? Because Kerach came and he tried to undermine the concept of the priesthood and he didn't want Aaron to be the priest. So the Posuk came and gave Aaron Hakoyen the 24 different types of gifts and tithes that one has to give to the priestly class. Interesting that it comes here because it's important to establish this as the relationship between the Jewish nation and the priesthood. Says the Nesiva Shalom. The idea of us having to give the Jewish nation, having to give the Kohen, the priestly class, we having to give them Truma and all the other things that we have to give them. Why is that? It's against this, this damage that Korach tried to do to the Jewish nation. It undermines the ideals, as it were, of Korach. The, the, the nationhood of the Jewish people can only be achieved if you have these three different categories within the nation. You need Kohanim, you need Leviim, and you need Yisraelim. But they're not three separate groups. We're very against there being separation. They're only separate in order to be united together. And that is why there must always be a connection between all the three categories within the Jewish nation. How are they connected? That's why we have the 24 different types of gifts and tithes that have to be given to the Kohanim. He said as follows, he said a very powerful idea. It's an idea about giving and receiving. What does he say? If somebody gives something to someone else, it creates a bond, a connection between the giver and the receiver. And actually, it makes no difference who is the one who gives and who is the one who receives. In the relationship or the bond terms, there's no difference between the giver and the receiver. The fact that they've had this, this giving, receiving relationship, that's what creates the bond between them. That's why we have the 24 different gifts and tithes relating to the Kohanim and the Levim. The, the, both the Kohanim and the Levim had to receive certain gifts or portions from the rest of the Jewish nation. There was this constant backwards and forwards that the Israelim, they were making their money. They were harvesting their crops. They were doing whatever it is they're doing. They're baking their dough. They have to give the chalom in Isa to the coin. They have to give the truma. That whatever it is that they had to give, there was this constant bond. There wasn't just the kohanim looking after the base amikdosh in Yerushalayim and the fellow who's living in his farm in Gushdan. That's that's not the way it works. The point is that you need to have a constant and ongoing relationship of giving and taking, of giving and receiving within the Jewish nation between the Kohanim, the Levim, and the Yisraelim. Uh, and we know that the Levim also gave um, from their mass. Whatever they received, they had to then in turn give to the Kahanim. So there was always a relationship between the Kahanim and the Levim as well. There was a relationship between the Levim and the Israelim. There was a relationship between the Kahanim and the Israelim. And there was a relationship between the Levim and the Kohanim, and between the Levim and the Israelim. So there was a relationship within the entire Klal Yisrael of giving and receiving. And that relationship creates a bond, and that fosters unity. That's why it is Am Echod Ba'aretz. That is why it's one nation in the land, because there's this constant toing and froing. There's this constant relationship between all the aspects of society, all the different segments and elements of society. 
יש קשר בין כל המדרגה שבעם ישראל, והקשר יהיה תמידי ואוילומי, this is something that's going to be constant and eternal. וישמעי שלא יקרה עוד בישראל פגם כזה של קרח ועדוסי, it was added as a protection. Here we have it immediately after the parasha of קרח, we have the parasha of תרומה of the חוף דלת מתנוס כהונה, that you have this, this um, concept that there has to be מתנוס, there has to be tithes, there has to be this um, give and take within the Jewish people in order to prevent there ever being a disaster like occurred between Korach and Moshe, Korach va'adosai and the Jewish nation. So now we'll finish with the piece that I began the share with. With. The Torah wants to teach us important lesson in life. The Torah is not there to tell us something that happened. It's not a history book. The Torah is not here to give us the history of the Jewish nation. And here Moshe had a terrible rebellion and he managed to quell that rebellion and he got rid of Korach. That's not what the Torah is about. The most important thing the Torah is trying to teach us is we must never be like Korach. And his gang of rebels. That's so important. We must never allow this infection, this virus of Kairach to infect our nation ever again. Pagam hapirud, the pagam of separation, of saying, I am on my own. Aniva afsi oid. I am the only thing that's important to anyone else besides for me. They're irrelevant. Every single Jew is relevant. They all contribute something. They all have something to give within Kralisrol, but not individually. They give something to us and we give them something back. There is an interchange of ideas, an interchange of personalities, an interchange of physical stuff between every single Jew, they all have something to contribute that creates this Am Echod, this one nation idea of Klal Yisrael. We have this idea of Truma, of the giving and taking within Klal Yisrael, of that I have something to give you, you're going to receive it, or you have something to give me, and I'm going to receive it, creating a bond among all the different elements of society. It's not that only my form of Jewishness is good, and what you have to give, whatever it is that you're doing, has no relevance to being a Jew. Of course it may, and maybe there's people who do something which isn't quite right, and maybe, by the way, things that uh, you're doing, or that I'm doing, are not quite right, but somehow in the big mix, if we're all one nation and we're all giving and taking with each other and we're contributing to each other, therefore there can be one nation and the chait can be b'mikre. It can be something that's just a happenstance, but uboiker yodeh Hashem es asher God will know that which belongs to him because we'll wake up in the morning and we'll know that the disagreement we had yesterday was a mistake and that really what we need is a coming togetherness of the Jewish nation, that all of us have something to contrib contribute. We have an appreciation for each, and dif each different element uh, within Jewish society. That really is the message of Korach and by doing that we undermine Korach va'adosai and we make sure that it never happens again. We'll leave it here.